Today's show is sponsored by Lending Club. Whether it's unexpected repairs, medical expenses, or credit card debt, we all need a helping hand sometimes. Just visit LendingClub.com slash BadChristian to check your rates for free with no impact to your credit score. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Chickity check, microphone check, one, two. There ain't nothing like drinking a Diet Coke and having a handful of salty peanuts. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. I'm telling you, a handful of just salty peanuts with the with the red shell or red, red what skin do they call peanuts. That? Oh my god. Red gosh. skin. Oh, yeah. oh man, That's those are good. Best. Or just natural peanuts and then like a good swig of Diet Coke is just something. And uh, uh well, now here's uh, what's funny. I, I hadn't had uh I started uh, just a couple few days ago uh, trying to do the only the meat only thing. Oh, man, for real? That you're, that, yeah, and so I've done pretty good except for I did have a little bit of vegetables, like just <laughs> so I hadn't done that good, I guess, because you you hadn't you don't eat any vegetables, right? Like uh like next to none, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Right now, yeah. Uh, by the way, I'll have people know I found a my new I have a new primary care doctor who loves the way I eat. By the way, and fully endorsed. So, just so you know, I know I sound basically like a, keto. Is that what you're talking about? It's not actually keto. He's this guy's bigger on protein, uh, the most, and then fat, and then almost no carbs. But um, keto is yeah. a little bit heavier on fat, like in the macronutrient category, to where you're getting seventy percent of your calories from fat or something sometimes. But this is more protein and thing. But think about it this way. It's still kind of a meat-focused situation because yeah. basically you just think of it evolutionarily like humans are trying to find the best food source possible and they're hunting pack animals, yeah, you know, buffalo, cow, th- things like that. They're hunting quadruped animals. and So whatever yeah. the nutrients are in that meat and the ratios they're in, because there's some carbs and there's whatever amount of fat, and protein all in that meat. So whatever the ratio of the meat would be from just a you know New York strip steak, that's about it. But that's the food you would get if you had choice of any food. That's the food that you would be eating, and you'd be fasting a lot, and then you would eat a lot of meat sometimes, and you would be fasting in between, and then, of course, sometimes you'd have nuts and berries, basically. Yeah. That's what you would eat. It's kind of what you're built for. Of course, I know we have molars, and, are, you know, and we're able to process and yeah. get calories from plants, but... Doing that is maybe something that we were able to survive because we could do when there weren't animals, when and through the winter or whatever you could store. You could, you know, chimps chew on leaves for like ten hours a day to get out a few calories. Well, that's a that's adaptive. That's good, but yeah. certainly that's not what they want to well, eat. It's just what, a way well, they've been well, here's able to survive. What's funny. Here's what's funny to me. Okay, uh, well, one is what's got me talking about this too is because I'm trying. I, I stumbled upon my zerocarblife.com. And this lady uh, started this uh, uh, named Kelly, and I'm trying to get her booked for the Break It Down podcast. A lot of good podcasts over there. Uh, but I, even after just a few days, I cannot believe how eating mostly almost – and when I say I I have 95% only meat, like I barely had a little bit of a squash, and I had a few peanuts today. Mm-hmm. But that's about, that's about it, right? I hadn't even had cheese. I've literally had either pork or chicken wings – or sausages, like link sausages mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, I cannot believe, first of all, how uh, curbed my appetite is. I just go, ah, I don't really feel like eating meat, yeah. and I'm and I'm sustained though, or yeah. satiated. I, yeah. I, it's not like I'm like I no, can't hungry. eat meat and I'm starving. I just right. go, ah, 
I don't want to eat meat, so I guess I just won't eat. That's, that's you know, right. And no so deal. that's pretty, that, that is a great feeling. I don't ever have that feeling. And another thing I was thinking about is, uh, like on tour, we went to Zaxby's, which I love. And I love getting their Zax sauce and the French fries, the uh, crinkly French fries and the fried chicken fingers and the Texas toast. But I realized today the only time that I enjoy that is when I'm eating it. Right. <laughs> That 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 whatever however long that takes five seconds to five minutes, what ten minutes whatever it is that's the only time I enjoy really enjoy like processed carbs any anything like that like any other time I, I feel gross I feel bad like if I go eat McDonald's Big Mac and French fries while I'm eating it it is better than anything else I've ever had in my life <laughs> yeah. but immediately before you know immediately after. No, I, I wish I wish to God I'd never done it. It's the most one of the most horrific things I've ever done to my body. Even Honestly, leading like, up to it, you're like, I shouldn't I be should, doing no, this. No, like, oh, why am I doing? I'm breaking him. <laughs> yeah, everything that I said, I would and after. Yeah. Yes, there's there isn't like, and I'm I mean, and I'm not talking shit about McDonald's. I mean, any fast whatever processed stuff. I'm just saying, like, seriously, I I can't believe that the only time I really can say, man, I'm really enjoying this is that exact time when I'm eating it. Now, what's really cool is. I have that same feeling when I'm eating meat, though. Like if I make a nice steak, it's amazing, or or yeah, or just made and, some really good right. uh, pork, pork shoulder. I was like, man, this is wonderful. I love it, and, and I don't feel bad at all after. Like I just don't you, feel hey, bad whatsoever. You right. guys will love this. I I've actually been doing keto since January the first, and I decided to start introducing carbs back into my diet in moderation. But check out what I did. I made a smoothie. And I did not add any sugar, did not add anything. It was just fruit in a blender and some ice. And I had a, a massive headache afterwards and, crazy, and really yeah. was like, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> like the same feeling you have after eating a bunch of pizza. I was like, oh, man, I should not have done that. It was a bunch of fruit. Yeah, Like I'm so sensitive to sugar and I basically drank just a buttload of sugar. Yeah, it was just crazy. It's weird. The meat, the meat's weird in that way because I mean, I know it's it's just counterintuitive to some people, but there's very little amount, and and also there's not much evidence here or long term studies or even there's not all, very little studies at all. So it's not something that you could totally back up, but it's just something that I'm interested in and exploring and just trying to see how it affects and works on my body. But the answer is very good. But Toby, you hit on something that's kind of important about it, and that's the part that where you don't care, like, it's a weird thing because you don't care as much about eating. Like, it's just not a big deal. Like, I'm not, I, I didn't eat anything yet today, and I'll be podcasting for the next several hours, and then, then it'll be about 3 p.m., and then I'll, you know, I'll eat stuff between yeah. 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. today, whatever I feel like that's made out right. of meat, and that'll be that. And that's a good yeah. feeling because it just, t think about how much of your life, uh, to me, I'm super attracted to it, and this is going to make me sound like a dumb robot that everybody can't identify with but so be it it's the same reason i wear the same clothes every day okay don't have to worry about that that's a torture to me to have to think about colors and what's what and if it looks good and who's gonna make fun of me and whatever so i don't worry about clothes and so if i don't have to worry about food that's even that's nice i mean i get to enjoy it when i enjoy it but otherwise i don't because these are just things that kind of seem like like they control you and i would i even think you could put sex in this category, but I don't want to sound like crazy. <laughs> now, I may be an addict on one hand because I love everything. You just like one pleasure. type of sex. We get it. Well, I'm just saying it's easy <laughs> to get controlled by stuff like alcohol or drugs or sex. 
And I'm talking about for me. I'm saying those things are easy for me to just say, I like them more. I like it more. I like it more. But then it's a, it's all those things are cycles where you just keep feeding it and then you're living in it and it's kind of controlling you in a way. And so I flip back and forth from feeling like an addict of stuff to being more like an ascetic type or something where denial feels good to me. Like, I don't worry about clothes or, you know, if you, it, yeah. like, it's like sex is that way. I don't know a good way around it and it's important. And all the others, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, you know, when somebody's more controlled by sex, like that just seems like obviously primal and base level thing that you're a loop that you can't get out of. You know what I mean? Like you're constantly thinking about it or it keeps coming up. But if, if you didn't have a sex drive and if you don't have an appetite, it doesn't bother you that you don't have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So you're more free. Right. It just feels more free as what as, as, you know. Sir, are you promoting castration right now? Yes. And cutting and cutting out 75% of your stomach? That's what yeah, I'm thinking about I mean, doing that this afternoon. <laughs> Joey, have you noticed anything like, like as as eating uh, you know, paleo are you paleo or low carb? Do you even care what it is? Just basically are you are you really tracking it or what? Uh, and have you oh, noticed anything like uh, health-wise? Yeah, first of all, I'm tracking with you with this yes. line of questioning. Amen. Now, now, basically, my my motivation for the keto at the beginning of the year was to beat my sugar addiction. And I honestly think for the first time in my life, I have done that because I can say that I can say that because I have had a little bit of sweets and I didn't go crazy with it. Like yeah. I have always had this all or nothing mentality. And it's just right. like, That's well, what I'm now that about. I'm eating sugar, I'm just right. going to go crazy. Right. And I just am able now to make the decision. It makes me feel horrible. It causes headaches. It possibly exaggerates my depression. There's just no, I have no business eating that much sugar. And so I really do feel like I'm at a place, thank the Lord, finally, as a 40-year-old man, where it's just like, yeah, I, I will you know, have a dessert every now and then, but certainly not every day. Like I always felt like, oh yeah, you look a little thinner. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm losing some weight, but now I'm definitely, um, you know, not not worried about carbs. Like I am just yeah. exercising a lot more and making sure I'm not eating a bunch of food. And I really do like intermittent fasting. Like mm -hmm. I've pretty much regularly fasted at least two meals on Wednesdays. It started off as more of a spiritual thing, and now it's it's just pretty much physical like, like i just it. yeah yeah I, I, I like it and it's and it's less calories you know all right folks as you know sometimes you need a little help and if you've listened to this podcast at all you know i need a lot of help sometimes with car repairs with uh, repairs to my house uh with things i want to build or make or do or even going on vacation and that is why lending club is so awesome seriously there's all kinds of things expected and unexpected that come up, but Lending Club is there for you. I mean, if you need the money, you can get it really quick. That's what's so amazing about Lending Club. Lending Club gives you access to low rates on loans of up to $40,000 for almost any purpose. Take control of your debt, finance a major purchase, or finally make those home improvements. Seriously, it's easier than going to a bank and offers lower rates than high-interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, enter how much money you need, and see if you, you're approved in minutes. 
Pick the offer that's right for you, and the money can be in your account, seriously, in just a matter of days. It's that simple. I'm not joking. This is, I mean, it's pretty awesome. For more than 10 years, Lending Club has helped millions of people with over $31 billion. I said a billion, not million. $31 billion in loans. Take charge of your finances today with Lending Club. So go to LendingClub.com slash badchristian to check your rate for free, and it won't impact your credit score either. That's so cool. That's LendingClub.com slash badchristian. LendingClub.com slash badchristian. All loans made by WebBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Well, well, here is one thing. Like, for example, uh, today, though, I just was like, you know what? It it would be nice to have a handful of peanuts. So I yeah. just grabbed, I got some peanut. And so that's not meat. That's a nut, obviously. But I I think I'm all or nothing, too. Like, sometimes I go. So for me, mentally, uh, and, and I don't know. Like, sometimes I feel like this, this, Matt, I'm not trying to say you don't understand, but I've always <laughs> been a, I've always been a big person. Joey, you're, you're a bigger person sometimes in your life, too. And so I feel like if I, when my, all or nothing. Like if I say I'm only eating meat, then I will, but only for a little while. Eventually, it'll be like I, I I'm so strict with it that I'll give I'll give up or something like that. So I like the idea of maybe I go to Olive Garden and eat some pasta in a few weeks for a meal or something like that. But I like like you said, Joey. I think for me, uh, you know, having a little bit of sugar here or there because I do believe too. That I want enjoyment. Like I don't want to say I'm never going to eat cake again. Like right. I know people say that. Like people go, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to eat this again. This, this, or this, or whatever. And it's working out so good for me. I think that's what they actually enjoy. Like they actually enjoy maybe never eating cake again or whatever. Like uh, I always sometimes I'll watch uh, what is it, Undisputed with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless or whatever you know. And Shannon Sharp like every meal is prepared for him. He, he said he hadn't had a uh uh. Philly cheese sandwich in seven years. <laughs> a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Hadn't had one in seven years. And I was like, man, but he enjoys that, which is good. Like, he likes what how he's doing it. I, I, I do want to have, like, a piece of birthday cake and ice cream on somebody's birthday. Or I do want to have some pasta in the future or whatever it might be. So I'm trying to make myself really be healthy for the first time. Like, right. n- not that I haven't been healthy in the past, but, like, be really aware of, wait a minute. Jess and I are on a date night, and I want to eat ramen. I'm going to. That's okay. Now, I don't want to eat ramen every day and then eat cake every day and all that stuff. That's the thing that gets me. That's like when we're on right. tour, it's really hard. Like I, we ate Zaxby's several times, and then <laughs> and all kinds. of – I had French fries most days, stuff like that. That that's when I feel really gross. That's when I notice the most. Like carbs and sugar will be really, really bad on me and my brain. Like I I feel worse. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I only enjoy those things when I eat them. I actually can tell mentally and physically that I'm worse or less or something like it just it really messes with me bad my diet more than I've ever realized in my life now so that means I do want to mainly like that's what I'm saying I'm, I'm thinking like in the course of a month I want to 90 95 percent eat meat and then the rest is fun and a little bit of uh you know Mixing yep. it up a little bit and doing this and that. Yeah, I find it easier. Like I haven't been drinking any sweeteners or anything because I just don't have anything that tastes sweet. Just it's not because I think it, the sweeteners right. are even bad. I'm drinking just, a diet coke. Yeah, it's just easier <laughs> to not think. Think well, That's I need true. something sweet. And even with the not doing the vegetables, it's like I don't have to think. Like, well, if I make cauliflower and turn it into a pizza dough and spend two hours, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just eat the ribeye or don't. Right. That's it. 
you know. But I, I, I totally understand that, and I think I, I'm saying I think that does work for you and works well, and you like it, and it's good. So that's how you've always almost been, for the most part, being honest. <laughs> you never cared about vegetables or most most sugars, but outside of actual candy. Yeah, I like I like candy. You know what I mean? Like like you never care about it, uh, a milkshake. Doesn't really ever tempt you that much. If 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 ice cream and milkshakes went away, I like to cookies, keep it simple. I mean, cakes, I'm the kind of guy that if saying. I eat Mexican food. And somebody says, "What do you want for lunch?" I'm like, "Let's eat Mexican food again." I eat it ten times in a row because I'm getting but into Joey, I'm getting into Joey. It. <laughs> if somebody said, "If somebody said we're going to get rid of ice cream and milkshakes forever," would that affect you? Would you be like, "Oh, that's really bad"? Wouldn't you think that's really terrible? Uh, I, I don't. I'm not sure if the option was he would tear his clothes away. and put on a sackcloth and put ashes on his head. <laughs> if it, uh, I would. I would for sure. Like if, if somebody said you could never have a Oreo milkshake again, I'd be so sad. <laughs> no, be I don't miserable. think I would. I don't think I would. I, I would just be like, well, that's cool that that option is removed, and yeah, not me. I'll, I'll miss that. I mean, uh, uh, honestly, I, be- I, I would say even behave, uh, behavioral cognitive therapy with my depression has even helped me with with food. Just from the standpoint of you, you make a decision, do you want to eat in a way that's going to affect you better in the long haul or eat how, what tastes good right then and there and it's not good for you ever? It's like a very obvious decision, but you have you have to put that decision in front of you and be like, this is the decision that I'm actually going to make. And it's just like, I mean, having experienced that smoothie situation in which I ate a smoothie and it was a lot of fruit in a, a big old cup and it gave me a headache. Last thing I want to do now is eat a bunch of brownies. With, well, that's right, the decision with, part is the, is the messed up part there. So you had to decide every time you get hungry three times a day, you had to look, make a good decision and say, I'm not going to eat that or I'm only going to eat. That's torture to me. That's why, again, we're the same thing every day. I just decide what I'm going to eat. Now that's there's no decision. The ribeye's in the fridge. I eat, there's no thinking. The thinking right. is the pain. It takes it's a taxing thing to have to make decisions all the time. That's all you your life is. Sugar, do y'all think there's a chance that refined sugar is evil? Evil, evil? an evil molecule. Yeah, like C six H twelve O six is evil chemical well, formula. No, well, just the idea that there was sugar cane and there was stuff, but like it. We've now processed it and put it in so much stuff. It was like this evil, bad, terrible thing that's infected the world, and it's really bad, and nobody even really understands it. For example, a lot of people would say that about alcohol. Yeah, no. Oh, there was, you know, they did this thing and they made it, and now look at it. It's infected the world and it's terrible. But sugar's probably has killed way more people. I mean, it's probably, think of it more this way. I mean, of course, you don't really think the molecule's bad, but it's a good chance we look at sugar and not too far from the same way as we look at tobacco and tobacco companies. It's it's basically the next of that. There was, you know, some big cover ups and a bunch of lobbying involved for something that everybody knew is bad for you and nobody really, what do you mean bread's bad for you? What do you mean fruit's bad for you? Or whatever, right? You know, and I, even fruit now, just to say that irritates people. But anyway, probably the sugar industry and the things, the sugar usage is going to look like tobacco stuff probably in the future. Maybe not as bad, but similar. I just hate that I am in my forties now, and it just means that more and more food is probably being taken away from me. <laughs> no, but there's new stuff coming. There's more great stuff coming. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be so many more foods engineered and made, just like you meat. Know, they make Meat, all the organic stuff because the demand was there, but there's going to be more and more amazing foods that'll be created 
that are probably good for you as the demand grows for it. I mean, you can already get easy. I can get bone broth at Costco now, and it's cheap and it's good and it's ready to go. I mean, that's great. That's because y'all. My grandpa, my grandpa had diabetes, and when he talked about not being able to eat candy anymore, he would actually start to sob. (laughs) (laughs) Like he, he just, he just got to a point in his life where he was just so emotional about stuff, and he would talk about candy, and he would just get choked up. (laughs) God rest his soul. God rest his soul. All right, uh, let's let's bring on a, a fun guest here. This is uh, I, I, I came across uh, James DeYoung after we had Paul Young on the podcast, and uh, I, he's written a bunch of books. Uh, disagreeing is a nice way to say it with Paul Young, who we had who wrote The Shack and has written some other Wait, stuff he wrote too. A so a bunch of books disagreeing with Paul Young. He's written a, he, well, uh, or, yeah, a, a few, uh, maybe a few. We'll see how many he's written. Maybe it's only a couple, but. <laughs> We'll see how many he's written, and he's written he's written several books, and some of them are about Paul Young. I'll say it that way, but uh, and Paul Young's book and stuff like that. So uh, I think it'll be really interesting to have him on here, a different perspective. All right. All right, guys, you know it by now, but Silent Planet is a good band. They're a great band. They're a tooth and nail band. They're doing super well. We featured them on this podcast multiple times, and we're going to do it again. This song is called Panic Room. Okay, so you're listening to Panic Room by Silent Planet. These guys were 2017's APMA award winners for Best Underground Band, and they're back on the road in 2018. Specifically, they'll be doing a full North American tour as direct support to The Contortionist throughout all of March and April. So that's going to be a really good thing you probably want to check out. In order to figure that out, just go online and see if they're coming to your town. So check out The Contortionist and Silent Planet's tour dates. The band's also currently in the studio working on a new album, so look for that later this year. If you never listen to Silent Planet, which I bet you have, go follow them on Spotify or wherever you buy or stream music, and they will not disappoint you. And that's all anybody's got to do these days, like... Check out a good band, add them on Spotify, play them. That's okay. You have permission to just stream away. Maybe share it with somebody else, but that's all anybody's asking you to do. Just go listen for it. You already paid for Spotify. Go listen to Silent Planet. While you're at it, if you're really into it, pick up their music on vinyl at solidstate.merchnow.com. Panic Room, Silent Planet, touring, new record. Get with it. Well, let's just dive right into destroying the shack. This is awesome. Let's do- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's the first question I wanted to ask you. Are you just uh, just a terrible person that hates Paul Young? <laughs> that's, is that what people think about you? Uh, well, no, I I don't I I uh, don't think I hate anybody. Yeah, um, I'm deeply concerned about uh, the issues of the biblical truth, and therefore I've written. Uh, uh, now three books in regards to uh, universalism and particularly as enunciated by Paul Young. We've uh, So we've had a few uh, universalists on the podcast and, and they, they make some compelling arguments. I'll say that. What uh, So your, your background is, uh, I think you are at Dallas Theological Seminary, is that right? No, I graduated from there with a doctorate, but I've taught for 40 years plus here in Portland, Oregon at Western Seminary. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, I teach uh, 
I teach New Testament classes and particularly Greek and um, sometimes I get into the Old Testament Hebrew and the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. So I'm sure I'm sure almost everything that I'm about to say is going to be debunked because you're like a billion times smarter. But here's one thing that I've been thinking a lot about this issue is I was always taught as a kid that people that die apart from Jesus, they they go to a place of eternal suffering. And so when I approach the Bible and I read those passages about hell, I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I was taught. See, it's right there. But then when I read passages along the lines of, you know, God wanting to save everyone and God redeeming all things and dying not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, I point to those and I say, well, that can't mean exactly what it says because I already know hell is true. Well, what what about someone who approaches the Bible with the lenses of universalism? Couldn't he do the the reverse, like point to the ones that talk about hell and say, well, I, I, that can't mean that? Well, uh, you raised several questions in that one big question. <laughs> and and, the, and, you're, uh, and you're trying really hard not to laugh at me, and I appreciate that. Hey, I appreciate <laughs> hey, hey, you don't know how much I appreciate being able to interact with you fellas. I've never done this before, at least with this kind of an audience. So uh, uh, it's a new experience for me. Uh, let me say uh, a couple basic principles. We interpret Scripture according to context. Uh, therefore, when we come to a difficult passage or a passage in which there are different interpretations given to it, we look at the broader context. So if we're taking up a verse in Paul, we look at the rest of his epistle or the rest of all of his epistles, and indeed the rest of the New Testament. So that's one basic principle. Uh, another principle would be that even though we come to verses in which, for example, it may say that God desires or wishes or wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, when we look at that, we, done, we have to understand that God has implanted in every human being a choice, that is a will, to decide or not to decide in favor of God. And therefore, by that choice, God honors that choice not to believe. Uh, he's given human beings, therefore, a free will, as we could call it. He will not force his will on anybody who refuses it. And so if people come forward and they say, I don't want to, I don't wish to, I don't will to be saved, he honored that choice. So people make that choice themselves, and that determines their eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. But now, like, even that explanation, can't that also be somewhat problematic from, from a skeptical's point of view? Like, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I've, I've read the same stuff, studied the same stuff. But couldn't someone say, well, wait a second, we try to compare a loving father, like heavenly father, to a loving father here on this earth, and I know damn well that if my son decides that he wants to do something that's super dangerous, and I say, hey, don't do that, and if I see him about to do it and it's going to destroy him, I'm just going to physically stop him. So it isn't, I mean... Us, us studying God, it's going to be problematic no matter what, because e even with what you just said, you could, you could ask that same question. Well, that doesn't sound loving. Why wouldn't he just stop us? Yes, he used the example of a human father and so forth who would intervene in regards to his adolescent child making a decision that would be dangerous. But I think a more uh, apt uh, illustration or comparison would be, let's say, take Jesus uh, teaching about the prodigal son. This was an adult son who made a decision— to go away and live for himself and so forth. Uh, the father respected that choice and he went away. And it was the son who very 
because of various experiences, came to realize he made a bad choice and uh, in repentance returned to his father. So I think the, par the comparison is apt in the sense that God the Father allows people to choose their way. He does not use some kind of thing to force them to come back. So that in the parable of the prodigal son, the father waited. Once he saw his son coming back, he welcomed him in love and in open arms. But it was the son that had to make the decision to return. But, well, and the father respected that choice. But, mm -hmm. but I, but uh, I mean, and uh, please, I'm, I'm actually working through these thoughts by throwing others at you. I have no desire to have like a de debate and win. So please don't take these questions like that. I'm, I'm actually learning right now. But can't you? Can't you? I, I can throw an, an example at you right now, and this is what bothers me about systematic theology. Is I could say, yeah, but what about Jesus leaving the ninety nine for the one? He didn't. He didn't wait. He actually went after that sheep because it was lost. So I'm just. I I guess I'm done with taking scriptures, you know, and, and just saying here's exactly what it means because I I just don't I don't I just don't see how we can do that. It, it just. And and it's and it's frustrating and it's almost scary for me sometimes. But sure, the prodigal son—that's a great story. But maybe that's not exactly what it was intending to show: is God not going after someone because it seems like He leaves the ninety-nine for the one. Well, all I can say again is that uh, we have the dual teaching of divine responsibility, or divine sovereignty, and human responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great extreme compassion of the shepherd or all right. the sheep. I would find the counterpart to that in actual truth and reality when Jesus mm -hmm. went to the cross and died for all. He made the yeah. perfect sacrifice for all people's sins and made that sacrifice and forgiveness that comes right. from right. it and based on it available to all. It means yeah. that sacrifice is sufficient for all. It does not become applicable or applied by all until that person responds in faith. That's the message of the gospel. So the the, the thing that is always tough for me is that uh, it does require us to do something then. Like God can't just save us on his own volition or own power. Like it, it does require how, – how would you answer that question? Does God's power – he, and and we're probably getting into Calvinism or Arminianism or whatever. But does God's power? It's limited, and it it requires me to say yes, Lord, you can save me. God's power and, is never limited by anything. It's not a question of God's power. And if all, all that Scripture asks asks of us is to believe the gospel, to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is never considered a work. It's not something that we do as though accomplishing a work, and therefore we merit something. That is totally forbidden. Yeah. Faith is a response and simply says, I believe the invitation that I have received. I accept Christ as my Savior, the one who went to the cross. He paid for my sins. My sins can be forgiven mm -hmm. if I put my faith in him. Yeah. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, God sent right. a judgment among the people and they all began being bitten by snakes. And the word of the prophet, I think it was Moses, came to the people and said, all you have to do is look mm -hmm. onto the bronze serpent and you'll be uh, delivered from the snake bite. Most of the people did. Right, all they had right. to do is look and believe. They had to believe that that would save them from death. But I suppose there were many there who said, that's too easy or I don't want to, or I don't want it, for whatever reason. 
yeah. did not do that, and they died. And I think that's a beautiful parallel with what we have in the New Testament gospel. So, so how would how would you deal with another? Like, I love this because you have dealt with these questions all the time. This is if Joey's it, favorite one of Joey's favorite topics, by the way. Too, if it's, Joey, <laughs> if he loves it's, this. Well, it's because I'm right in the middle of my right. my thinking about it all too. If if it just boils down to God saying, "Hey, I just want you to have a choice. Choose me, and if you refuse." You know that's on you. Then uh, obviously the low hanging fruit is it's really really hard for people to not only understand God, but I mean the countless number of people that haven't even heard about Jesus yet and all of that. So it to, for me, I understand the theology behind that, and I'm even willing to serve a God that would do something that I feel is unjust because I realize my limited understanding. But it's not that simple. I mean, I've been studying the Bible now since I was in middle school, and I'm starting to now realize just how little I understand about God. And so it doesn't seem to be that simple of a choice. Like, I've I've actually talked to real atheists, some of them that used to be Christians, and they said, I wish I could believe. It would be so nice to be able to say there's a God that loves me. I just can't bring myself to do that. Now, is that is that sinful nature kicking in, or is that someone being tricked by Satan? And if it's trickery, well, that sucks that God would allow someone to be tricked into being in hell forever. Well, Pisses me off. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you say several things that raise several qu- points. I wholeheartedly agree with you that in right. the end, God is on. Uh, explainable. That is, he. There, there are aspects and, and matters about God and His nature that defy yeah. human understanding. God is God; we are His creature. Right. Therefore, in the ultimate sense, uh, we cannot fully understand God. Although the Apostle Paul uh, encourages us that one day greater mm-hmm. fullness and understanding will come. Yeah. That having been said, however, God has revealed something about Himself. Okay. The Old yeah. Testament says, uh, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and our and his people, so that we right. may walk in them or obey them. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, that's the nature of God. But the things that have been revealed, we are responsible for. Yeah. Uh, so, when you use the illustration of a former uh Christian or confessor who now is an atheist and says, I can't believe it's too hard to believe and so forth. Well, I don't know uh, exactly what the problem is, but again, you read the issue. Well, is that satanic? Is it deception? It may well be. There's a sense sense in which the call of the gospel asks us to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves and acknowledge that God is God and he's provided a way of salvation. You know, John 3.16 comes to mind, and you all probably know that verse. But look how simple that is. For God loved the world that he gave, his only begotten son. So salvation is a gift that whosoever believes on him, all we have to do is believe. Yeah. Believe believe in this sense means to trust, to uh, commit ourselves to. It it differs from the Greek uh, faith of the past in, in the sense of the idolatry of Rome and, and Greece in which a person had uh, yeah. allegiance to all kinds of deities, goddesses and gods, and he paid various tributes uh, to them and so forth, but right. they didn't really trust in that deity. They didn't believe in him. 
And that's the New Testament language. We, we commit ourselves, we believe in, we trust him. Gotcha. And I mean, trust him, not myself, my salvation. But that's all that is necessary. Right. Well, well, but the, so the, the, I think the pushback for me there would be, I don't even know if it's pushback. What, something that you don't believe, how can you believe it? For example, if I said there are, I'm, I'm telling you, James, there are aliens. I know you don't, I know you never seen them, but they are, or, you know, that Santa Claus thing, man, you know, like I'm telling you, it is true. I did see him. You might not necessarily believe that I'm telling you the truth. So, so that, that is where I find conflict in uh, someone, and I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. I'll, I'll, I believe because I've had personal experience. The thing that I think, too, and we, and we haven't even gotten to Paul Young yet, but the idea of trying to get people to learn about God or have an experience about God, are we trying to push, hey, just believe in the simplest like low bar thing, or is it a, is it a bigger deal too, like it, it is really hard to believe. That just doesn't come naturally. Like, I, I mean, most people, are, I feel like a lot of people are skeptics, and if they're not, then they might believe anything. So I don't know what they actually truly believe. Well, may I say in reply again a couple things. To believe means that that's the start. When I say that I accept Christ as my Savior, that puts me in the family of God. Mm-hmm. But Paul and all the rest of the apostles remind us that that's only the beginning step. From that point on, one has to develop his faith what we could call sanctification. One take a first step in how the rest of his life should be lived. And may I bring up the issue of, uh, because you you raised the issue of believing in, uh, what was it, aliens? (laughs) Yeah. Other unseen or untrue or real creatures. That's a dumb bastard. Dealing with here is the issue of worldview. And worldview is comprised of what what constitutes reality. Right, yeah. Well, uh, aliens are not real. Secondly, what constitutes truth? But you can't prove that aliens aren't real. Like, that's just something that you believe, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, well, wait a minute. Uh, let me go through the rest of a worldview. Okay. okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> a worldview also includes what is true or the truth. And Christianity is based in historical truth and reality. Aliens are not. Jesus Christ is a real person. There's nobody in the world who has any legitimate basis for denying the historical uh, existence of Jesus Christ. And the third issue in a worldview is what is moral or good. Right. Mm-hmm. So, all, everybody has a worldview, whether or not they acknowledge it or understand what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. A, Christ, a Christian is saying, in a sense, I believe the Bible is God's uh, truth. It calls for a standard of morality. And God yeah. is real as validated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He entered history, he died, and he rose again. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would answer questions like that. Yeah. I, I told, but there would be some people that would say, well, people believed in Roman gods, and it was written about and all this stuff many, many years ago. And so, so right, what, me, my, 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 point, my, my, my point would be still, somebody has at least, there, there is some valid points to say, uh, your book, you know, that, you, that you're talking about, the Bible, your book uh, was written by people that are trying to say something, and they, I don't know if it's true, because it was 2,000 years ago or whatever. Like, it's a great story, I don't believe it. I'm just saying, it is hard to believe something just because your fellow man tells you to believe it. You see, you, you see what I mean? You shouldn't believe it just because your fellow man believes it. Test it. Again, right. look at the cross. What happened there? Look at the person of Jesus Christ. Right. 
and you only have, as Billy Graham said many years ago, only three alternatives. You believe yeah, yeah, that Jesus yeah. Christ was truly who he said he was. Secondly, you reject who he is. Or thirdly, you ignore him and don't pay any attention. Yeah, but you yeah. have to do something with Jesus Christ. And it's okay if you want to deny him. That's your choice. That's where your will comes in and, in a sense, thwarts God's will for all to be saved. Mm-hmm. He honors and respects that choice. Uh so it's the cross and it's the resurrection that is the critical, crucial point of no all doubt history. about that. But but a lot of people. But that's that's less historically provable than his existence. I mean, you know, I agree with you that people don't really or shouldn't doubt his historical existence. But his resurrection is is less less evidence based. I would say. Well, yes, that, you can say that, but I but then you have to deal with the recorded witness of the New Testament. And you have to somehow explain how did Christianity get launched as uh, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when indeed that was a fake story. Right. Yeah. See? And and again, Mm -hmm. people said, well, more good has come as a result of fake news than than could have ever come by the reality that he never rose from the grave. That seems almost an impossibility. So couldn't we talk about it in degrees of confidence for things? Because, you know— Again, I'm well. Not again. I haven't said it, but I mean, I'm a I'm a believer. I'm on the believing side here, and that's the best I can tell you. Is I'm on the believing side. I am not oh, great. I am not. The, I, but I don't hold that stuff with that much confidence. I do, in fact, less over time, to be honest. But you know, when I hear you talk, you just sound really confident to a, to a degree that I think is is difficult to. I mean, how how confident are you that your basic interpretations of theology and of Paul Young and what you think about salvation are correct? What do you have a percentile of, of confidence in that you've got it right? Your interpretation well, of the Bible. Well, I, I use uh, as my touchstone, my uh, criterion mm-hmm. for what is true, the Bible. So, if a person speak, you know, who claims to be a Christian, mm-hmm. so if a person who claims to be a Christian says, "I believe this and this and this." I go back to the Bible, and according to proper rules of interpretation, I understand the Bible to say this. And this person is either saying something in accordance with that or mm-hmm. in opposition to it. And Who made the? I'm I'm sorry because I I don't want to I don't want you to forget the proper rules part. Who made those prop? Who made yeah, the proper rules? Yeah. Well, two thousand years of history, and it's been an up and down affair, because as you know, during the Middle Ages, the the main way that the Catholic Church interpreted Scripture was by uh, allegorical and typological right. and mm-hmm. misinterpretation. The Reformation brought us back from that. Right. Or, or derailed it, us from that. Well, you can take that view if you like. Well, a Christian can pro- take that view of that, right? Huh? Can a Christian take that view? Yes, a few Christians do. Okay. Uh, but may I say that the way that we interpret the Bible, and that would be by grammar, history, and and context is the way we ought to interpret the newspaper or a book written about the history of World War II or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. These are common principles of interpretation. They're not right. secret. They're not somehow special to the Bible. Right, right. Gotcha. But I mean, there, gotcha. the, but there's too many. In, I mean, there's at least major, major doctrines that people hold central, that there is a plethora, multitude of positions that people hold, and they do not agree on st- straightforward interpretation. Well, I mean, just even even Arminianism versus Calvinism, or, you know, someone who believes in 
a literal torturous chamber or annihilation, you know, eternal or annihilation. Right. Like just just the fact that we have Seven tens day of creation, thousands whatever. of denominations based on one book, it to me is very revealing that oh yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people are wrong. And who am I to Most say? Most people got to be one person. Looks to me, yeah. Who, who's who's to say I'm the one person that get get you know that's got it right? Like I actually do think that Christianity, because I'm a believer as well. I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is my way to heaven and for my purpose here on this earth. But I do believe that Christianity's tent should be big enough to include people that just are like, yeah, I don't think the Bible's inerrant. Like I think that we should study it with the Holy Spirit's guidance, but. I just don't know if that's how we were supposed to read it. But I know that is very heretical to a lot of people and understand that because that's I used to be the same way. Well, may I say that uh, one of you made the observation a few moments ago about the fact that there's a plethora of interpretations about right. a lot of central truths. May I yeah. say that it's not true. If you take Arminians, Calvinists, Catholics— right. Protestants, evangelicals, whatever category you want to, people who have a basic commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah. basically unanimity on the core doctrine. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the core doctrine? The deity of Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. Death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, the Trinity. Uh, the sinless perfection of Christ. That is, he was without sin. Right. Uh, and and the authority of Scripture. If you want to call it inspired or inerrant or something, but somehow the authority of Scripture. Those are right. basically the only core doctrine, and all Christians agree on that. Yeah. And also the reality of hell. Yeah. Now, I've read Paul Young's books, uh, all of them that he's written. Right. Be beginning with his paper back in 2004, he said this, I am right. rejecting my evangelical paradigm. Right. I, re I am endorsing universal reconciliation. Yeah. That teaching, which began in the third century with Origen, right. and I've not made a historical study of all of that, uh, was reiterated off and on by various Christians, and yeah. Christians yeah. repeatedly have rejected that as unorthodox, or let's say contrary to what Scripture uh -huh. world teaches. So the major, doc the major doctrines of the Church would include the reality of hell and heaven. I've just finished... A, a new book on universalism, and it's going to come out in a couple of months. And yeah, I right, evaluate right. Rob Bell, uh, Brian McLaren, and Paul yeah, Young. Yeah. Throughout that book, I look at every single argument that's been proposed throughout history right. universalism. And I find that they're inadequate because right, they end right. up being contradictory to each other. Right. For an example, uh, why bother talking about the meaning or reality of hell if everybody's right. already been reconciled to God? Paul Young has a whole chapter in his book devoted to the fact that there that hell doesn't really exist, or the fact that none yeah. that hell doesn't separate from God. But he has another chapter devoted to the fact that everybody has been created in God. Everybody's been created in Jesus Christ. Everybody's right. already saved, even if they don't believe. Well, think of the contradictions inherent to that. Why talk about hell if everybody's going right. to heaven anyway? Well, that might be his point, though. Like, what? Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be thinking about hell. Maybe you should be thinking about like. I think his point probably, and, may, and I'm sure you know his arguments more than me, or his points rather. Uh, he would say that everyone will be eventually will believe. Everybody eventually, because of God's love and power, uh, everybody will eventually at some point choose God or accept that He is God or something like that. So, 
the that idea is like what you're arguing. No, we got to make sure that people burn. That's why people don't like it. I'm just saying that you know what I mean. Like that, your argument includes some people will burn and have worms in their skin forever. That that so that's hard to swallow. Well, may I say I don't believe that. What you just used are figures of speech. Hell is yeah. not a fire. Hell is not worms. Yeah. Those are figures of speech to communicate to us something horrible about the nature of hell. Right. If it, it there's nobody who goes to, to the lake of fire and to heaven as their eternal destinies right. in this present body and in mm-hmm. this present reality. There yeah. are new heavens and earth coming. And so as Paul talks about it, we're going to put off this earthly body and put on a new body, a spiritual body. Yeah. And so it is with those who reject Christ. They're not going to go through physical fire, physical worms, or anything like that. But it is separation for all eternity from God. And it's because people have made the choice to go that place or yeah, that yeah. way uh, that they go there. It's not God's fault. He's done everything he can to make provision for lost man's sinfulness to find forgiveness and justification in the cross. So is the danger with somebody like Paul Young, you're saying you, you feel that the danger is he's leading people astray so that they won't seek God and they're headed to hell. They are, they are headed, people that end up believing universalism or that God will reconcile at some point in history, outside of human history even, you think that he's leading them to hell, to be separated forever from God. He is uh, preaching a message yeah. that deceives them concerning eternal destinies. I've created what I call De Young's Wager. You've yeah, all heard yeah. of Pascal's Wager, yeah, I believe, yeah. right? Better to at least believe, and in the end find out that believe is not necessary and all of that, but it's better to be safe. Right. Well, De Young's Wager is this. It's better to be safe in believing that hell exists so that people turn away from that rather than to be told a false story that they don't really have to believe, that they're all, right. all going to go to heaven in the end anyway, and find out in the end that that's wrong, that's untrue. And so that's why universalism, not just Paul Young, but universalism through history yeah. uh, has posed such a significant challenge to the church. It, it, uh, it deceives people. It betrays the message of the gospel, of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, for one thing. Right. Why does God care so much about if we believe in him or not? Because he loves us. But what does that belief have to do with, as, rather than, like, for example, like, when I read about Jesus, I feel like he it was trying to express love and change and the real things that we got wrong with it, like with the Christians. Like he was going after the Christians of the time, if you will, or the, the religious folks of the time. Like why is God so concerned that we believe in him? It, it seems like he would be, at the very least, he'd be more concerned if we actually are good or bad. But are you saying that if we just believe, we will make it in? Well, in short answer to your question, yes. But let me tell you, in, in response to your greater question, why does God care? Yeah. Something like that. He yeah. created us way back in eternity past. For mm-hmm. some reason, unexplained yeah. scripture, he decided to create human beings with whom he could have fellowship. He created us on the highest level comparable to himself, just yeah. sort of divinity or deity. So he created us, but he created us in such a way that he didn't want us to be robots, automatically giving allegiance and homage to him. So he gave us a choice to believe or to follow him or not. That choice came to crushing uh, climax in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve, signifying all of us involved in them by corporate identity, chose against God's promise, God's love, and all that God had done. And because of an outside influence, 
the devil. Adam and Eve rather followed the devil, who wants to be as God. You know, it said that Satan would rather be a prince in hell than a servant in heaven. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Yeah. That deception of Satan continues to go on through the ages. But God, therefore, out of love, sent the Savior who became one of us, that is, part of the Godhead, right. left heaven, yeah. to be incarnate as a human being and take upon us our human nature apart from sin or uh, all of our sins on the cross. Yeah. And therefore, he is rescuing us back and out of uh, a willful choice to believe he receives the glory. Yeah, and yeah. He that otherwise he would not have had for all eternity. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you do you hope that Paul Young is right? Hope what? Do you hope that he's right that, about universalism? No, I don't hope he's right about it. I hope he's dead wrong about it. What do you mean? I, I'm just saying, do you hope that he's right that everybody goes to heaven? No, I don't hope that. <laughs> Why would I hope so? <laughs> you don't want everybody to go to heaven, you want some people to go to hell. No, let me, let me explain that. You, you, you raise a very common uh, question. Even evangelicals will say, well, I hope Paul Young may be right, or I hope universalism is right, that everybody yeah, goes yeah. to heaven. And I answer this way. How can you have a hope that God does not express as a hope that we should have? In fact, if God has said something else, right. and we have a hope contrary to that, that to me is almost blasphemy. Let me say this, and I put this in my book, both in the yeah, book yeah. Lies Paul Young Believes About God and in my new book. There is more of a chance for my dog to go to heaven than there is a chance for people to repent and believe in hell and then go to heaven. I have to think about that. Why is that true? Is that good news for dogs? <laughs> it certainly is. But here's what I mean by that. There is no verse in Scripture saying anything about dogs going to heaven, right? Right. Yeah. There's a movie about it. All dogs go. But. So, that, so that's a valid hope. I can hope that my dog's in heaven. <laughs> uh, I, you're right. I could hope that. But my point is this. Scripture says nothing about dogs going to heaven. But it does say right. something about people going to heaven or who cannot go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that's the people who choose not to believe. So now, the Scripture is clear on that. And they what? have no chance of getting out of hell if the scriptures say they cannot get out of hell if they want to choose to go there. What do you do? What do you do with some of? Uh, well, I'll do one at a time because you you've nailed me. I, I bring up like five points in one sentence, so let's just take one at a time. We're not good at interviewing. James. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you. <laughs> I think <they're> quite good. <laughs> um, what What do you make out of the fact that in Acts? hell was never a part of the evangelism efforts. Like, there was never once where it was, hey, you better do this or else you're going to go to hell. Like, How about, how about when Paul ministered to, th to the Thessalonians, and we have the record of that in Acts chapter 17, Yeah, and uh, the Thessalonian epistles, first and second. He says in, sec in first Thessalonians, in the very first chapter, how that when we preach the word to you, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Right. And in right. chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, he said, Jesus Christ is coming to judge those who persecute you and, and bring about uh, their everlasting separation from God. Yeah. That Ooh. sounds like uh, judgment. Yeah. How about when he was in Acts 17? You brought up Acts? Right. Chapter right. 17, when, in his sermon on Mars Hill, he said that the very end of that, 
that God has ordained a man by whom he's going to judge the world. And at that point, the philosophers stopped Paul. Right. Because Paul mentioned resurrection yeah. of the yeah. dead. And in their thinking, Zeus was the only uh, God who ever rose from the grave. And now Paul is saying Jesus Christ was. Right. So they became deeply offended. Gotcha. But I, th yeah, I think Paul and, uh, the apostles, now not in every recorded message do we have it, said that Paul referred to uh, judgment as well as faith and so forth. But he did, uh, I, I, I'm confident he did every time he did it. Yeah. He did speak gospel. It just simply isn't recorded. But it is certainly an intrinsic to the gospel message. Now, what See, about... I, I, I actually... Sorry, Joey, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, what What about when... Uh, and, and and mind you, I'm, I am I don't have all of the Greek and um, Aramaic of the New Testament and all that, but it seems like some smarter people that do, when Jesus talks about hell, he's not even referring to the eternal place of torment. Like, is, is that just hogwash to you, that, it's, that Gehenna is an actual location that he is... Like setting up an analogy here? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because my new book, which is going to come out in a month or two, has a whole chapter devoted to teach Jesus teaching about hell. Gotcha. And when you read what I have written, you cannot right. come up but help but come away from that realizing that there's no other person who ever spoke as much about hell or about the yeah. reality of it as it is, did as did Jesus. Right. Just to give you one one answer to your concern. Take the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh -huh. I'll about this. In the very last verse of that parable, chapter 25, verse 46, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says, so Jesus, So, the, the the Son of Man will say to the sheep on his right hand, depart yep. into everlasting life. Yep. The goats on his left hand, you'll say, depart into everlasting torment. Right. That word torment is only used twice in the New Testament. The other is in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Again, Jesus uses the strongest language and yeah. the yeah. language of anyone about that. Yeah. So, uh, what, 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 one thing I was... Go ahead. Sorry, Matt, do you want to... You got a question? I was Sorry. just going to... Just wondering, where do you have people like Paul Young penciled in? Uh, as non-Christian or Christian that's misled, that's good faith or trying the best he can? Or, you know, how do you have him... A Christian that's going to get a bad spanking in heaven? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Two things I'll say. I have no idea of the eternal uh, nature of Paul Young's heart or yeah. any other universalist's heart. Only okay. God knows that. Yeah. Secondly, think of what Paul the Apostle says in 2 Timothy. There are about a half a dozen times in those first and second Timothy in which he says there are certain people who, having once believed, have yeah. departed from the faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he names a couple of them, Hymenus and Philetus. Right. Uh, they've made shipwreck concerning the faith. The the the, the fellow by the name of Demas, who uh, Paul recognizes in Colossians four as saying he had departed from me, and yeah. the rest yeah. of church history uh, uh, records him as having become an apostate. Think of Simon Magus in chapter uh, eight of the book of Acts. Yeah, Peter says to him, "You're still in the uh, grip of bitterness and." and an opponent to the gospel. So uh, I'm trying to say, I guess, that when a person, having once known the truth, and may I pause here momentarily, and I'm now addressing this to each of you men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One per, a person having once professed the truth and then turning away from that is in danger of never being able to come back 
Hebrews chapter 6 says, it is impossible to renew to repentance various people, and the last category he uses is those who have uh, turned away from the faith. It's impossible to renew those to repentance. Why? Because they demand a re-crucifixion of Christ and make an open shame of him by their rejection. So you're you're saying that someone has to... It's a serious matter. Right. So you're saying that someone has to believe in a literal hell to be saved? I mean, because there, there's, there's, there, there could, could be... be oh, I mean, yeah, but someone could easily say, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he's my way to God, and I don't know what I think about hell. doesn't sound right to me. Like, it, it sounds like that person stopped believing. Well, all I can say is it is not necessary to believe in a real hell in order right, to be right. saved. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, let me qualify that by saying we should, if we're going to be Christians, yeah. I'm going to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. That means I believe what he said. Right. And therefore, as I grow in my Christian experience and, and I come to the conclusion that Jesus believed in a real hell and uh, for various reasons, as did all the apostles and the right. book of Revelation and so forth, if I'm going to reject that, then I have to start moving backwards, and I'm going to say, well, now, how much of Jesus' teaching am I going to accept or not accept? And all the way back to where my position is in becoming a Christian in the first place. Yeah, I, I know of people in the scholarly world who began as uh, fundamentalists, a fellow right. uh, by the name of Bart, Bart Ehrman, yeah. graduated from Moody, graduated from Wheaton. He was born in a Christian home, fundamentalist yeah. home, as he calls it. And then when he went on to Princeton, he lost his faith because of a textual critical problem. And uh, now he is deliberately outside of the faith. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of person that Paul is warning about in First and Second Timothy. They've made shipwreck. Is if Paul you Young shipwreck, in that category for you? Uh, I, I, I tend to think so. Yeah. But how did, but, but those two, two guys, guys so go ahead, sorry. Next to my book, uh, lies Paul Young believes about God. I discussed this very question. Yeah. Paul repent. And Paul, uh, should we pray for Paul Young? Uh, what is his uh, eternal destiny, as best as I can understand it, from what he yeah. has written? Yeah, I, right. Again, no, it's hard. Only God. Yeah. But, um, I guess still brings me back to the question of did somebody like Bart Ehrman, Bart Ehrman that you're talking about, who I've, I've read some of his stuff, um, follow him on some social media stuff as well, did he intentionally try to disavow God's existence? Was his goal to be led astray and God allowed that to happen? And I'll even take that even personally. Uh, you, you, uh, you said you have the De Young wager. I have, I, I have a little wager myself. I, I, call, it, I, I call it the, the Morell wager. My last name's Morell. If you happen to be wrong, then that means everything that you've said potentially forced other people to believe a way that was wrong. So if, if what I'm saying, for example, let, let's take the big issues of the day. Let's take homosexuality. Christians say uh, homosexuality is a sin and it's wrong. If we happen to be wrong, if we just misunderstood that, then we might have taken away the chance for somebody to fall in love or to be with the person that they say they're in love with, whatever. We won't get into details and uh, right or wrong, whatever right now. I'm just saying the idea there is, are we saying that no matter what, we are like, you know, James D. Young is exactly right and Paul Young is exactly wrong so strictly that there is no chance that you could be wrong. Like like for me, like because I was told, I was taught by very good pastors that there was a literal hell with worms and fire and I was going there. That is what I was taught. Now you're saying something different. So who do I believe? Were they wrong? 
Or are you right or are you wrong about just about hell? Well, first of all, please do not think that I think I'm right about everything. I <laughs> no, I know you don't. I believe that. <laughs> I want to say I am not right about everything. I've changed my mind. And by the way, here's something I've changed my mind about in regards to hell. But I'll get to that in just a moment. Okay. So, so nobody should be able to say I'm absolutely right in everything I believe. That yeah. is re- that is uh, that is an unbiblical position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should be able to find the cardinal doctrine, the main doctrine that set apart a Christian from a non-Christian. And does a person embrace those or not? That yeah, should yeah. be by his profession how we should judge that person as to whether or not he's saved. Now, here's my new understanding about hell. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Universalists accuse us evangelicals of believing that only a few are going to heaven and that the vast majority, billions upon billions, are going to hell. Right, that is right. not true. I'm convinced that there have been theologians in the past, and I list them in my new book, Shedd and Hodge and uh, more recent uh, uh, theologians as well. But going back to Calvin and Zwingli, they believe that the vast majority of people are going to be in heaven. Huh. How's that? When you take – and there's a a modern book written uh, – I forgot the name of it and who the author is, but it's cited again in my book. And in fact, it's in a, a website document. I have a website called liespauljoungbeliefsbook.com, and in there there's an article titled uh, <laughs> The Sledgehammer of Universalism. There will be many more billions in hell than in heaven. Is this because yeah. of the thousand-year reign? It's a sledgehammer that's used to knock people over the head to cause them to think, well, God is unfair. God is unjust. That can't be right. Well, you're correct. It, that isn't right. I'm convinced that there are more people in hell, heaven than in hell, and here's the reason why. When you add up all the infants who died before the age of accountability, which is about five years of age, yeah. in the history of the world, that had been an enormous amount of young kids. Right. I've right. been to Afghanistan twice, and there, I think it's uh, 40% of all the kids died before that age. All those kids go to heaven. If you take the people uh, who uh, believe on God on the basis of general revelation— yeah, who yeah. have a heart to know the true God. Those yeah. people yeah. go to heaven. Mm-hmm. When you add in all the people yeah. Yeah. who are uh, lost in uh, miscarriages, in the wombs of mothers, which yeah. is about 40% of all the numbers of live births, yeah. add that all together, and it's as high as 60 to 70% more people will be in heaven than in hell. Yeah, These ideas really do have a lot of consequences. I mean, this is a good example of... Being certain about stuff can lead to some nasty stuff. Like even in this case, there's a, a lot of accounts in the Middle Ages and stuff where people would actually kill kids before they reach the age of accountability, and and you know and stuff like that. Just you know knowing at least they'll go to heaven and stuff like that. I mean, there's well, been, you know. yeah, that's that's very bad, isn't it? It is very bad. Well, I mean, I'm not what, saying what, that that's advisable, but in a way, I mean, it's just, you know, when we get real confident about certain ideas, and, and that's kind of what Toby was saying before, it really does have consequences. If we feel like we're very right and impose a certain thing or say it so strongly, the way other I mean, it, it really can have, you know, damage and consequences and stuff like that. So that, that it makes sure. me nervous just on the degree of confidence. Like, I, I can see how one logic is better than the other or maybe more sound, but the degree of confidence is, you know, that's why I can only be at this time a guy that says, I I believe, I believe, you know, I think, I think I believe, hey. you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, your can faith I, has to have content. Mm-hmm. 
It has to be uh, informed as to all the things that you need to believe as a Christian. That's all. Well, I, I, I understand, but even bouncing off Matt's point, when you were saying that, I was thinking, well, shoot, well, why did God give us free will then? Man, I'd like to be one of those yeah, under five-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean they, they, get, they get the loophole. The worst the thing you can loophole. do is live, as, to, so, live to be an adult then. I mean. So as soon as you, as soon as you have a uh, chance to even think and be accountable, then you, hell gonna gets just, your own brain like, is going to end decisions will destroy like the, you. Like I mean, I know. I promise you, my I have a four year old right now. She does a lot of sin. She does a lot of sin. If she's still under a the lot. age, you might want to think about it. Uh, oh, wait a minute. You know why that 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 that's not an acceptable option to kill people or whatever before the age of five? Because God desires worship on the uh, uh, from uh, uh, rational adult like people. That is, people who know that they are truly worshiping Him. He delights in worship. And the more worship that God can yeah. receive, the better it is. And he can't get that worship from an infant. Well, yeah. well the most general place. Yeah, I've well, got James. One more. We, we, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, just Sorry. one one more thing. You know, you early on in the conversation, you said that you know God is God is really gracious. He gives us a choice, and He did everything He possibly could. And then we even uh, bounced around with uh, it's in either First or Second Peter, Peter, and either First or Second Timothy about God wanting all men to be saved. But then I asked you if you want all men to be saved, and you said no. Yes. You, the terminology was whether or not I hoped that all men would be saved. And I went on to say that universalists and non-universalists will keep saying, well, we hope that universalism may be true. Right. I responded by saying, how can you have a hope that God does not have a hope for? It's, but I... It, it, he wishes that all men would be saved, though. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Well, it's not the same thing. Okay. God wills or wishes for all to be saved. That's not saying hope, for one thing. And there's no expression anywhere in the Bible that says that God hopes that the wicked will get out of hell or something like that. That The, the point is that God has already made a statement about hell, about yeah. its reality, and so forth. Right. Now, so we're talking about two different issues. If God has a will that all be saved, he is also willed by giving to human beings a choice of having a free will that they exercise that free will. Yeah. And if yeah, they yeah. will yeah. choose not to believe, he respects that will. That's all. Yeah. All right, James. We did, awesome. we, yeah, this has been great. We really, I, Honestly, we appreciate you coming and uh, talking with us and having a, a spirited conversation. We actually really enjoyed it. Tell, tell, the, folks, tell the folks the new book and where they can find you. The new book is Lies Paul Young Believes About God. Uh -huh. <laughs> and Please my, don't write a book newest, about us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my newest book is going to come out in a month or two, and it's titled uh, uh, Confronting the Resurgence of Universal Reconciliation. And I take up Young and Brian McLaren and Rob Bell and others and take up all their arguments and try to expose them uh, in the light of the Bible. May I say one more thing? Yes, sir. Uh, you had a spirited conversation with Paul Young about uh, uh, penal substitution. Uh huh. I listened to that whole podcast, by the way. Yeah. And he made this statement. This is one of the most diabolical doctrines of all. Yeah. That goes to the heart of what the cross means. His interpretation of Isaiah 53 in his book, Lies We Believe About God, yeah. is slanderous in what it says about the cross. He denies that the cross was God's idea. He says it was man's idea. He says uh, God is not sovereign. God does yeah. not know all things. 
and so forth and so forth. But that doctrine simply means that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die in my place for my sins. Yeah. Right. That's the penalty that God, deserved, that God wanted all people to pay for sins, but he provided a sacrifice, a substitution. That's right. all that right. penal substitution means. And the reason universalists have to deny it is because it calls forth the judgment of God. And they don't like that. Gotcha. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, sir. I really do appreciate it. It's a, it's yeah, a great thank conversation. You, James. Well, all of you, I thank you. Yep, we appreciate awesome. it. And and, and uh, so is there a general website that people can go to, too, or the best one is just to go to the, the book that you just recently wrote? Uh, I have a general. I have another site called Burning Down the Shack Book, and that's gotcha. a response. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so those are the kind of websites I have because that's what's uh, interesting right now and going on in discussion. Are you going to have a Burning the Shack mo- uh, movie uh, website soon? <laughs> no, but on that on that website, I do evaluate the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you have a good rest of the day. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining us, James. Thank you. I appreciate your generosity. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Well, wrap it up, fellas. Well, I just want to say that I don't know if that is an example. Like, we get accused. We've gotten this accusation very often, and that is that we we just let the heretics go wild on our podcast and say crazy things, and we don't ever push back, and then we're always pushing back. I I I held back on this. I mean, I, I really did. Now, now, d- well, does that mean does that mean that I'm smarter than this guy and I could have won an argument? No way. But I just I really and truly believe that this guy's heart is in the right place. He has awesome intentions, and I believe that he really believes what he he believes is true. But I think this right here shows that once you put theology and God in a formula, then you do have to come up with some kind of crazy things to say. Like, I, I, I don't know why, what, why couldn't, yeah, I, I, I feel bad, but I just don't understand how any <laughs> Christian, I can't understand how any Christian couldn't say, of course I hope everybody's in heaven. Of course, like that's not even a second. But he, I think you, I I think his point was that that would be theologically wrong. I don't think he was saying he hopes people are in hell. He was not saying that. He was just saying that thought of universalism. But you're right. It, 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 there's no way of it not sounding that way. It's all about to me. It's all about certainty. And Pete Enns covers that really well. It's just I'm not so sure. Like maybe you're right. I mean, and and if you were completely confident about your doctrines and that you had them right, then those things that follow, you would feel pretty good about saying. I don't have right. that confidence. I, I listen to what you're saying. That might be true. And, and I don't the, the tough things for me, I'll say a couple of things. One, we had pretty bad audio on that, so we kept saying, yeah, yeah, to bring him back. <laughs> so right. it, I, the whole time I was thinking like I was at church. It sounds, yeah. yeah. We'll try well, and delete, yeah, uh, edit yeah, that, those yeah, we'll, out we'll, if we can. May, yeah, you might hear a few of them or a lot of them. I'm not sure. Secondly, is this a cool looking dude? Like I was like, man, this reminds me of my uh, my pappy who died when I was young. But just like he had on the uh, flannel shirt and just looks like a just a nice, genuine guy. I really believe James has a does have a good heart, and he is once again very concerned that people are going to hell. Like like that is his motivation. He thinks people are going to go be in separation from God. So to me, part of me thinks that's honorable that you would proselytize people yeah. and say say that and believe that. If you actually believe it. You should say those things, right? The, it, but it pushes me back to we could be wrong. Like I, I was taught by Christians and theologians 
that hell was real and, this, and so now it's not anymore now it's now it's just separation or what like things do change and you can't there are i mean for every interpretation there's a billion other interpretations so the the problem is it really does boil down to a personal thing and then and then you do you're right same for anything whether you're a universalist whether you're a uh, you know a, a calvinist whatever you want to say you are you had to come up with some loopholes, right? Yeah, there's some there's some obviously. age of accountability loopholes, or there's a no penal substitution loopholes, or there's whatever it might be. There 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 has to be a loophole, and that is exactly where the faith comes in. Like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. what do I believe about God? Really, that's what you got. It all boils down to what do you believe about God? Really, and and because I mean, you can't really even control person. it. I mean, some to some. I mean, the age of accountability. That was a whole. That's a whole one. Like that's one of my least favorite doctrines right. ever. I, that was the most. Not <laughs> one. Everybody, well, also because everybody says waiting. you're born into sin. You're born into sin, but yeah, you're not accountable for it until you can say yeah. But I mean, what is that? I mean, I don't know. I, I, it it would really vary between ch- kids because there's some uh, you know sinning nine months olds. <laughs> I know on earth I could find a two-year-old that is a sinner. I know I could. Well, but yeah, they are. Four years I mean, but that whole doctrine is, is, is a workaround. No, I know. I know. It, it's a hack it, it so is, you can retain this, but also get this part that you want. I mean, that's what... Well, that's it, yeah, it is. It's tough. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm glad we had him on. I, I do appreciate him coming on for sure and, and uh, holding to it. And so, yeah, y'all check out his book. All right, right, we're getting out of here, right? Before we sign off, let me sign on to tell you guys about the BC Club. It It is officially, and Newsweek said it, has become the most prestigious club to be a part of. So we're really thankful for that honor. Thank you, Newsweek. And National Geographic said similar stuff. It was the News Boys said that, (laughs) not Newsweek. So we've got some some new folks, and I'm going to take a guess about one of these guys, and uh, y- y'all will get a kick out of this. But Eric Nowitzki and Blake Aldridge, Justin Skiffington. That's a cool last name, Justin. I like that, Skiffington. Nate Knift, Knift that's K-N-Y-F-D, Andrew Capps. Mark Stutzman, and Ben Moore. I'm pretty sure this is the same Ben Moore who is a baseball player for Alabama who follows us pretty closely. That's pretty cool, uh, except is it for really? the team you play for. Yeah, Ben Moore. Uh, if if it's the same Ben Moore that I'm thinking, if it's not, I apologize. Uh, Joshua Grady, Renee. Have you ever been more dumb to go to that school? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get to these names now. I'm tickled. I'm tickled. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Renee and Natalie Giefschefschen. No, that's right. Yep, that's exactly no, no, how it's pronounced. No, listen to the last name. It's Giefschefschen Steam Camp. <laughs> what is it? Say it again. Giefschefschen Steam Camp. All right, now, now do now oh, do that God. one as if you did their uh, marriage like you did mine, and you get to announce them. I present to yeah. you. <laughs> hey, it is with pleasure and honor that I get to announced for the very first time I present to you Renee and Natalie Gifsh <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Gifshefshesteenkamp Gif- you got to see this last name holy cow I think it's real and and then we end with Tim Eller <laughs> No seriously this is G E E F S H U J I S E N dash Steenkamp <laughs> 
That's some crazy names right there. But thebcclub.com, go check it out. Maybe it's something for you. You get an extra podcast weekly as well as thrusted into this unbelievable community that may be safe or not, but it's on Facebook. And honestly, a lot of connecting going on. Um, yeah. So Thanks, join Joey. us. R- R- yeah. R- we'll see y'all later. Renee's name on Facebook literally is just Renee GS. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that, that He's like, I ah, screw it. I, I'm not going to go through that. <laughs>